Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. My name is Ron Crawford, and I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And it is a great blessing, as always, to reach out from here and on behalf of my local congregation to invite all of our Saints Network family and those of you who are listening uh, to this time of looking into the Word. And uh, I begin by stating that today is a very special day here in Dallas. It is the first Wednesday in the month of March, and it is also two weeks from today when our Saints Network seminar entitled Understanding the Times will be, uh, will be hosted here in Dallas. And so today is going to be a, a day of prayer. It already has been, but this evening, by virtue of uh, uh, the directive that I believe God gave us, uh, we are announcing and reminding our congregation that at 6 o'clock this evening, we are going to be coming to pray. And we are going to be asking God to bathe this place in his presence. We'll be praying for those who will be journeying here to be with us in just uh, a matter of days now. And we will also be asking asking for those who are um, ministering that the anointing of the Spirit would strongly be evident in them for the task that God has given them to do. And we'll be praying for those who will be in attendance that the Spirit will impart to them the things that they need. And the signature passage that we are dwelling upon this evening and throughout this day is found in 1 Corinthians 12, and it is a very familiar passage for all of us, beginning at uh, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in his ecclesia. Let's stop right there. Set is the familiar word tetheme. It is the word from which we derive our English word tithe. And we have taught on this in so many sessions in the past and from various perspectives. But when I was growing up, the tithe meant one thing. It, mean, it meant the tenth that you give back to God. And tithe literally does mean tenth. Now, for our French-speaking folks, you, you use the word D-I-M-E. Uh, I guess deem, forgive me for that. We use that same word. We call it dime, which is a ten cents piece. But the essence of it is that it is a tenth. And as we've taught in the past, the tenth is something that you bring to um, to sow forward or to represent the blessing that God has given you in the 
Greek culture. Um, we we know that when the modern when the ancient Olympics were held, there was a place that was um, called after this. It was the Thesaurus, and the Tethemes from nations that were participating would be brought there to help to supply for the needs of that gathering, that international gathering, whether it was for the purpose of providing food or providing shelter or providing for the logistics of the games or whether it was for uh, the purpose of providing um, the the wreaths or the crowns or the the trophies, as it were, for those who were the victors. So into the thesaurus, the tetheme was placed. Now, in the Old Testament, God wanted the tithe as well, and it was brought to the storehouse. And These are teachings from, uh, I think, a couple of seminars ago. We taught about this extensively. There is a booklet that was written about it called the thesaurus, but the issue of the tithe in, in my upbringing was always a looking backward. You know, you better calculate what God has given you, what your salary was or what money you earned, and you take out a tenth of that and you give it back to God. It was, it was done, I'm just giving you the viewpoint from the pew, Okay theologians, you can argue about it. But this is what was our understanding in the church. And when I would get around other young people from other churches, and particularly in Bible college and in seminary, I know this was the idea. So don't dispute it. You better pay your tithe as a measure of appreciation to God, but also as a way, according to Malachi, to deter the devourer. And if you didn't pay your tithe, you were going to be in a peck of trouble. And then we also felt in those days, those who said that the tithe was from the old covenant and therefore it was of the law and we weren't under that bondage anymore. This was usually from people who were tight-fisted and they didn't want to give, uh, they didn't want to give anything away. But the, the, the essence of the tithe is to show appreciation, uh, gratitude, to showcase what God had done in a measure of thanks and rejoicing, and then to sow it forward into what was coming. It was like a seed. And again... The story, God doesn't need your money. You know, there's no cash in heaven. But it was something that was displaying, your obedience was displaying a principle. Now, what is that principle? If you do further study from uh, the, the Bible concerning the tithe, you recognize that God himself tithed. And here is an incident of God having to themade some in the church. God also tithed the fivefold gifts into the church. God tithed 
you know, tithe was used to describe to theme the the ordaining of God. When people were ordained, it was a tetheme process. And so all of those are beginnings. I would hope that you don't wait until after you've proven yourself over 10 or 15 years, God finally says, okay, I'm going to tetheme them. It is a beginning. And so when we see that God sets a tenth, a seed, as it were, into the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, we recognize that in the midst of the membership and for the purpose of the ecclesia, the governing body, God sets aside individuals who have specific skill sets from him, specific duties and obligations from him, and it those things for their lifetime or from a, a, um, a selected moment going forward, he sets them and he expects them to serve and to fulfill what it is that he is doing. It's like a seed. So the tithe represents a consensus of what God wants to do and how he wants to serve within you. And um, it's a beginning point. So when you think about the apostle, the prophet, and the teacher, from this perspective, and the study of what the apostle is, what the prophet truly is, what the teacher is for another study, we will not be able to cover that today. That's available for you on the archives or from our Pneumatikos bookstore or from your own study. Um, God sets to themes these into the church. And I, I believe that, you know, those three specific offices, as it were, did not die. Yeah, the, the original apostles served in the way that God's tetheme wanted them to yield. But if that's the only seed, whew, that field dies. You got to have more seed. You know, one crop yields seed for the next. And if you, if you ever get to the business of saying, oh, well, that, that gift is not for today anymore. It's amazing to me how some denominational doctrinal beliefs say that, you know, the apostle and the prophet really isn't today. But that, now that teacher gift, yeah, it it's, is still here. It fills our Sunday schools and it fills our, our denominational universities. And, you know, we need the teacher, you know. Honey, where's the separation line? I look and I look and I look here and I don't see that. And in the book of Ephesians, there's a long list of, of uh, target points wherein God says uh, these five gifts are going to be evident and functional until these things happen. And again, I look at those and I don't see those things having happened yet. I, I really... You tell me if we're in a unity of the faith, for instance. Is the work of the saints perfected? No, it's ongoing. So we need these capacities. Now, 
that's not the message of the day, but I, I, I do think that it's necessary to see that when God sets into his ecclesia, all the things that follow are seeds, as it were, ordainings, as it were, for something that he wants to do now, something that is fresh, something that is for the time in which we're living and entering into. So if there was ever a time that we needed all these, uh, it's, it's now. And so part of our prayer today is that our apostolic calling, as it expands, our prophetic uh, duties, our teacher um, capacity will be strengthened and that the the winds of the Spirit would blow upon the embers of that identity and cause that passion to serve in this undying tetheme from God, that that passion would, would burst again into flame. But what we really want to focus on is what comes next for today. Now, we know from the list that we spoke about this past Sunday morning here, um, you have the nine gifts of the Spirit. And included in those gifts are the next two in this list in verse 28. Now, the only thing is is that they're flip-flopped. In the first part of this chapter, speaking of the grace gifts that flow from the throne of grace, you have um, the the working, uh, the, the gifts of healings, and then the working of miracles. Here in the settings, you have the miracles and then the gifts of healings. Why is that? Well, there's a twofold answer to this, and part of this is a recap. The two missing offices out of the five are the evangelist and the pastor. So we deduced that Paul was describing functions of the evangelist and the pastor because he doesn't name them specifically here at the end of chapter 20, uh, uh, chapter 12. Paul, we, we know that the gifts of healings are grace remedies from what we studied on Sunday in the flow pattern of how grace emanates from the throne. The grace remedies are those resolutions of blockages, misuse, and so in the flow pattern from the throne, that comes first, and then the dunamis or the function the fire of function comes next. That makes sense in the flow pattern from the throne. When Paul is speaking of the, the functions of the offices that have been tethemied into the church, he goes right for the heart of the matter. The apostle, the prophet, and the teacher want to see function. And so... The dunamis comes then, and um, and then from that dunamis, there should be 
a continuing measure of resolving misfunction. Does that make sense? This is an evangelistic gift. But then you have what we believe are the threefold dimensions of what should be going on in every church. This is what we need to pray as a church. Now, we need to be asking God, even though we've understood this, even though we've tried to apply it, and successfully, thanks be to God. And we teach this around the world, and we see indigenous churches doing their very best to emulate what the Word says in their own terio, in their own indigenous place where God has called them to serve. We need to ask God that the helps or the willingness to keep changing the hands. What hands? I mean, when we taught this originally, and this makes sense, the original word means that, you know, one hand would then help the others. That's why you have two hands. And, you know, if you're if you're turning something or if you are trying to maneuver something, you know, you, you your grip needs to change commensurate with what the need is of that moment. And that's a coordinated effort. Uh, additionally, though, you have to view what the right hand and the left hand means in the Scripture. The right hand is the prophetic grasp. It is, it is the Amman from the Old Testament. It's, it's that beginning point. As God says from the right hand of the throne, this is what I'm empowering you to do. The left hand walks along patiently according to the timing of God until the moment of fruition comes and then the left hand takes over. We've said this in the past, but one of the damning conditions of the church is that it is left-handed. It's like the tribe of Benjamin, which was supposed to be the right hand, but they were always left-handed. You can look that up for yourself. Or the sons of Sceva, the sons of the left hand, who went out and said, we don't need a relationship with God. We don't need to know Jesus personally, uh, but we really like that power against the demonic, so we're going to go out and we're going to have us a deliverance session. And you know what happened to those ne'er-do-wells. And they went with the left hand first. The church wants things now. Show me how to declare. How me? Show me how to put in motion these things and argue my case so I can get what I want now. I've seen that all my life. I've seen it come and go, come and go, come and go. Put a new dress on a pig and say it's a beauty queen. Come and go. And relationship with God and the timing of God is never is never the focus. Right hand and left hand is Old Testament and New Testament. And so if we're going to partner with the hand of God, which also means emptiness, the hand in the Greek uh, means empty, it means winter, it means storm, it means valley. And when you begin partnership with God, you take the hand of God, if you're expecting it to be filled with gold doubloons, you're going to have a hard time grasping the hand of God because he initially extends it to his partners who will dare to believe with him in the miracle pathway that he wants to journey with them in. 
And that's the right hand. And the left hand follows suit in the timing of God. So the changing of the hands is being sensitive to the progression of what the Spirit is doing. And to partner with God for the full package rather than to give it to me and give it to me quick. So many seminars and books are written about how to get God to do what you want him to do. I I just can't fathom that. I've seen it all my life. That really is what, pardon my phrase, but in King James, that damned the latter rain movement. It damned so many ministries where, you know, you, you begin with God as an intercessory partner. You believe for something that he's promised, and then the victory comes, and then you realize, oh, man, we're, we're experiencing success. Glory be to God. Let's build bigger barns. You know, let's, uh, let's eat, drink, and be merry. And, Oh, do we want to begin again? No, if we start talking that empty hand business, we're going to lose our constituency. Constituency. So we got to keep delivering. We've got to be bigger and better, bigger barns, better things, because this is what draws the crowd. God isn't about the business of drawing crowds. If you doubt that, look at Jesus' ministry. God's about the business of building partnerships, raising up sons who will follow him and take his hand and labor for the next thing, to build upon, to line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. See, we think all of those are just the instructions to build this big successful thing that'll never fail. And we don't realize that it's a principle. It's a pattern with God. He will always be doing this. He will always be moving in this way. He will always be looking for the seed. He will always be looking for those who will partner with him for the privilege of just walking with him and seeing the miracle happen. We like to talk about miracles, but we don't look in the scripture to what happened the verse or two before the miracle over and over again. It looked like the people of God had had it, that the one that was being asked to sow into God was on the verge of passing off. You know, the the woman who had a, a handful, a palmful of meal before she and her son was going to die. In her words, that's what set the stage for a miracle. And it is always that way. So we need that understanding in the church. that This is the way God moves. There will always be seeds of faith. There will always be waiting and patience. That's the first sign of the apostolic. There will always be that glorious privilege of taking the hand of God. You know, one another thing about the hand of God, the right hand, is that 
it's where you touch God directly. Yeah, the hands can begin to be filled with other things. And as that happens, you have to purposely, with great intent, press through those to touch his hand. That's what we really must have. And so the challenge, though, is that when we've succeeded a little bit, we really, as human beings, come to like that fruitfulness. And we forget the one who ordained it and offered the prospect of partnering with him toward its, dare I say, fruition. And you, you, you lose that, what Paul said, that we need to be as chaste virgins, those, that we need to be virginal before God in the saintly walk. So this is the first thing that's called that should be in the church, set in the church. And whether you want to bicker or say, well, you know, I just don't see, maybe this is part of the evangelist's office. Great, go for it. But make sure you're fulfilling what helps means. It's being sensitive to the Spirit to know what God says, how he wants to take you from hungry to full and then to be hungry again whether it's in the the project that you're working on, whether it's in learning, whether it's in being taught the truths that the Spirit guides you into, whatever it is, you need to recognize this process. And I think that as we come together to pray tonight, and we invite you as saints to pray we need this. You know, when we first started on this pathway, which really then, through the auspices and grace of God, led us into fellowship with what would become our brothers and sisters throughout the world in the Saints Network, all we wanted was him. And it wasn't because we'd failed in any other kind of ministry. We've given this testimony here in Dallas. We were enjoying a really wonderful church setting, a thriving setting. And God said, is this really all you want? Are you satisfied? Or do you want to do what so many pastors do? You know, you build up this place and then you become known and then you can set your sights on a a bigger church or a a bigger facility or a a bigger uh, location and then you can apply and secretly as it were so your current congregation doesn't know and you're voted on and you come in one Sunday and you say well I've got an announcement to make you know we love this place cherish memories but we're going over here upward 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 some operate on the Russian 5 year plan and it, it yeah, I, you know, I'm not faulting you for doing that, but we were in a position where I, I asked God, well, I've seen this, I've been trained for this. Is this what you want from us? Are, are we going to move and relocate? Is that what this feeling is? And we fasted, and the congregation fasted, and 
God brought us into a place where we wanted him. And he came and we cherished that privilege of knowing him and learning of him as as our father, learning uh, what it meant to lay on our face in proscuneo before him, to, to serve him just to know him. And then, of course, many years later, um, there were those that came from the from other religious viewpoints and said, "You're not focusing on Jesus enough," which was ludicrous. I mean, and we would cite scripture after scripture. Jesus came to redeem us to the Father. It's only through Him. We're with Him at the right hand. He's praying for us to do the will of the Father. And we went down the litany of scriptures that set our case uh, and our pursuit, which is what we said we must do. Everything we do has to be lined up. It has to be girded up with the scripture because in the spirit realm or in anything else you do, you begin to vary from the scriptures and you're done. We don't want that. And they didn't understand that. And I'm not faulting them there, but for the goodness of God, we would go. But the issue was that we wanted his hand. We didn't realize it in that way at the time, but we were taking his hand of partnership to do something beyond what we had been doing. That has to be. So we're praying that God would stir that initial and essential dimension of partnering with him, taking him by the hand, and that we would that we would be sensitive to the directive of the spirit as that plan evolves and grows and develops into a point of fruitfulness and then we're at a point of fruitfulness now and and have been how do we process that how does the plowman now come to overtake the reaper how does that happen well we can talk about it in the scripture we can lay it out we can teach it and everybody can grow yay but doing it what is the gestational period of that it differs from time to time it is not a logistical constant in other words you can't say well you know look up here on the chart on the wall We do this, we do this, we do this, and then we do this. God says, wait, wait on me. Hold on. Sometimes it's just, when God moves, it's usually a suddenly in Scripture. You notice that? We've taught this before. The day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all in one accord, suddenly. They're suddenlies. Why does it seem like a suddenly? Well, usually suddenly comes when people are waiting usually suddenly comes when they think it should have happened already. Usually suddenly comes when it's happening in a way you didn't expect. Did you ever think about that? We need a sensitivity and a devotion to that because it's at the point of the suddenly where you can become impatient. You know, it's what the the people said to Saul, um, you know, 
Samuel is delaying his coming. It's what the foolish virgin said, my Lord uh, delays his coming. It's then that you give up. You see how we need to be praying about this that God has set into the ecclesia. The next, which we all readily cherish, is the, is the governments. That we would all function developmentally in what God has asked us to do, what he has appointed us to do individually, our placement in the structure of the ecclesia. And I think that that, what Paul says, and we'll get back to diversities of tongues, but what Paul says in verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all what he goes through them. Don't be jealous. Don't start plowing somebody else's field. Don't be envious. Why don't you be the best at what you are appointed to do? How does promotion come? Do you think that it's a a political race or a merit-based thing, or God forbid, is it an equity? No, there's no equity in the kingdom of God. There's equality in the people of God. The only equity we have is that you have just as much right as everybody else to be what God has called you to be. If we were all apostles, it would be chaos. If we were all prophets, God help us. If we were all teachers, where would we sow what God has shown? So, You need to be what God made you to be and be happy with it. Promotion comes not from the west, not from the east, not from the south, but from the north. God's throne will promote you. But here's a a newsflash. He'll promote you in your service to him. I can go on and on with this. This is a major stumbling block for many people. You will never outgrow what God has created you to be. Now, there are times where you are going to have to do double duty, which is really what Elisha did when Elijah surrendered his mission and was caught up in the chariot of fire. The double portion of Elijah's spirit, which came upon Elisha, simply meant not twice as much, even though you do the math and you say, you know, there were twice as many miracles. I saw this once. I did the count. And uh, he was one shy. Elisha was one shy until that burial procession and those ornery Midianites were a-coming. And those those skeered pallbearers tossed that dead dude into the tomb of Elisha, and he touched the bones of Elisha, and he sprung to life, and in heaven, ding, 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 ding. That's two times as many miracles. You know, we think that. 
And it, that is kind of an interesting biblical thing. But it was a doublish, double portion not of capacity, a double portion not of miracles. It's a double portion of your spirit, which really meant because you're being caught away, I'm going to have to do my plus yours. You know, I think we've had to do that to a certain extent. Um, we we have our calling initially, and we had to do a lot of things that should have been done by those that were ahead before us who were unwilling. I'm not complaining about it, but that's what we had to do. You know, it's like if you're working and you're committed to a task and somebody doesn't come in that day and the work has to be done, well, then you're probably going to have to do that too if you're any person of accountability and duty. So promotion comes from God. You just be what you're supposed to be and don't blame in your impatience or your jealousy your condition on the fact that no uh, is he or nobody's noticing me or you're not you're not paving my way for me yeah i could pave your way right out of the will of god and then not only are you going to be in a bad place but those who should have been doing that duty are going to be hindered and it's a mess boy i'm drifting off into preaching we need to pray that we would all be faithful in what we're called to do. You know, Elijah believed that he hadn't accomplished anything. He said it. The enemy will come in those points of transition and really convince, if he can, people of untruths. You know, it's a strange thing when you come to the changing of the hands it's a very unusual feeling. There are dynamics in the spirit realm and in the fabric of your partnership with God that are unusual. And and really, when the new wineskin is being prepared for the next harvest, that's a that's a challenging time. Now, you may feel things as you transition that you can't really put a finger on. And you've got to go back to, as, as Elijah was supposed to do, wrap your mantle around your head, shut out all the other things, and remember what I've called you to do. You've been serving me faithfully, but now there is an Elisha, and there are 7,000 who have not bowed their knee. So why in this moment, do you say, I'm not accomplishing anything. Take me home. I'm not faulting Elijah. Listen, these are biblical principles. And it's easy to look at him and say, hey, to see the way his personal life was not what it should be. I mean, I've heard that preached. He was in a moment of transition, just as Moses was, just as Saul was, just as Jesus was. And you are right now. So we need to commit ourselves 
to the partnership with the hand of God, and we need to commit our gifts and callings to God and devote ourselves to fulfilling them. And we need to ask for the anointing of God to be quickened so that we will be refreshed and that as we impart this to those that God leads us to, that they will be refreshed as well. And the last, of course, in this is diversities of tongues. It's also a grace gift. You know, early on, when we were all praying in diversities of tongues, the genoslalia, which is different than the glossolalia, look it up for yourself, Bible purists, it's there. Um, we would say that this was an office in the church, and there were some who didn't look at what we were actually saying, so oh, I have a problem with that. Well, it's listed here in the in the progression of the offices. So it really says that in every ecclesia, people should be praying in diversities of tongues, which is a grace gift that God uses in order for us to speak in languages that touch the beginnings, the genos, that touches the uh, the essentials that touches the progression of the familial heritage of the Lord and asking for that to be brought forward, asking in God's timing, asking for that initial purpose to be restored and so many other factors we have put forward, and I believe this bears witness, the many blessings that come from speaking in unknown tongues. And that helps to strengthen us for who we should be. It, it helps us to be built up according to the oikidome. Oikidome. Excuse me. I felt like I was ordering at a Japanese restaurant. Ah, hi. Oikidome. I shouldn't have done that. I've just displayed my racial insensitivities. Um, but, you know, that... That really means an architectural plan. It, it builds us up. But then diversities of tongues is a grace capacity, which if unknown tongues does something within us and within the church, then diversities of tongues does something through us in, in partnership with the, with the grace of God throughout the world, what his throne of grace is wanting to do. We need that in the church. You look at the churches, a lot of Pentecostal churches, you have to urge them on to just pray in unknown tongues once a month. A lot of churches don't believe in any of the speaking in, in unknown languages. So it is a rarity, more than you realize, that diversities of tongues are actually being utilized. And the enemy, if he could, would try to snuff that gift out of your life and snuff it out of the church. He's done a pretty good job of it over the years. And by that, I'm not saying I'm supporting the enemy. I'm giving credit where credit is due, but we're not ignorant of his devices. We're aware of his devices. 
You know, in fairness, John was in the book of Revelation, and he marveled at what that queen of heaven was doing, and the angel looked over and said, why are you marveling at that? John wasn't worshiping it. He was just saying, man, that is a well-oiled machine there. It functions. It functions so much. You know, it's been said that the best leaders aren't really noticed, but the success of their organization is plain for everybody. And you you see that. So I know that our enemy and just humanity has pretty much eliminated diversities of tongues from the flow of the church, and it's supposed to be there. Why would he list this? Why would the Spirit list this in the fivefold flow? Why would that be? Well, I think that it's it really wants to emphasize how important that capacity is in the structure of what God has to themate. And if we're going to be apostolic, if we're going to be truly prophetic, if we're going to be pneumaticos teachers, if we're going to be functioning as partners with the hands of God, if we and you know the whole flow that we've just talked about, grace remedies, dunamis, governments, we have to recognize the vitality of diversities of tongues, the necessity of that in conjunction with any apostolic work. And we need to, we need to not only hold on to it, but we need to examine ourselves and say, am I still moving with this in the passion that I once did? You know, initially when we first started receiving this, it came not because anybody taught us, not because we went to a seminar and hands were laid on our noggin. It just started happening. And then we searched the scripture, what meaneth this, which is what we should have done. And we saw it there. And we recognized this is different than unknown tongues. And I'd been in, speaking in unknown tongues for 30 years. Not all, not consistently. <laughs> but over a 30-year span. So I knew the difference. I knew the difference. But God gave it, and that guided us. That gift helped to guide us. And, you know, I recognize it was new. People were receiving it with the euphoria of this new thing happening and the way it was activating things within uh, the individual and the atmosphere of the birthing. And God poured it out in like the day of Pentecost kind of a of an experience. I recognize that. I lived through it. I pastored in it. I enjoyed it. I embraced it. But like any other thing, when you are then responsible to teach others or you've been experiencing that capacity for decades now, if you're not careful... It can become old. And then you convince yourself, you know, maybe those things that you laid down initially and you put them at the throne, maybe new things have risen up. Maybe I, I could go, I'm a grandparent, maybe grandkids come and the responsibilities to the family 
that you didn't ever have, that you certainly didn't have back then, those rise up or your 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 life in general or the the capacities that you have um as responsibilities for other churches for other places those rise up we need god to not take us back to the beginning i don't want to go back to the beginning i want to go back to the fervor of partnering with God, welcoming new things. Only God can do that. Honestly, in those early days, and that, I used this word earlier, that euphoria, we thought lots of things were going to happen immediately, and they did not. That was our thinking. I don't want to go back to those immature perceptions. Do you? Really? Do you want the the <laughs> Do you want the bliss of ignorance? Uh-uh. It it is it is perhaps a a phenomenal miracle to be as a chaste virgin after you have after you've grown through many stages of development in God, how can you be that way again and yet be a mature, responsible person whom God has entrusted authority and supervisory uh, responsibilities to? How, how do you do that? That's, that's a great miracle. You know, perhaps there are lots of biblical lessons, perhaps the lesson of the of the of the wise virgins who kept doing what they were supposed to do, even though it was dark, voices around them were saying the Lord is delayed. People were half of the uh, half of that group had stop doing what they were supposed to do. You know, peer pressure and momentum are really factors. But what do you do when the wind of those is not blowing and your sails go slack and you're in a God-appointed doldrum period? What do you do then? You give up, cast yourself overboard, begin to devour one another, what do you do? So tonight, and whenever it is that you as saints pray, at this crucial time frame where we see that the COVID restrictions are lifting, yeah, there's there's a horizon of war right now with what Russia's doing in Ukraine and what China's doing behind the scenes. There are issues within our homeland that are egregious but we need to recognize the timing of the Lord follow what he's promised prepare for the going forward to work for the night is coming but I'm going to tell you something with all of that understanding and all that positioning and all that being ready if we don't have a fresh stirring of helps governments and diversities of tongues as a church, as an ecclesia, 
we will not make it. Let that set in. But we need them. We see them. We want them. And it's by God's Spirit. He gave them. Let him stir them. And so we're going to pray toward that end. Not just for the seminar gathering, which we want you to register for. That's How would you like that announcement? But for what's coming, but mostly for our own service, essentially for our own service to God. We have to have this. Oh, I know there are a lot of factors in your life. Some of you are not as young as you were 26 years ago when we started on this saintly walk. Some of you have other familial responsibilities now that were not even on the the glimmer of your eye way back then. Some of you were dealing with physical limitations due to age. We need to pray that God will cause you to be uh, as uh, as uh, a, a, a miracle person that uh, you're like Caleb. I'm at 80 years old, but I'm just as strong as I was 40 years ago. We need to believe for that. But wherever you are, Your spirit is alive. It's the spirit of God within you. It doesn't age. It matures, but it's still vibrant. Let's covenant with God for a fresh visitation. A fresh visitation from him. So I speak blessing over you all. For those of you here in Dallas, we look forward to being with you tonight. Six o'clock, it's just going to be a prayer time, six to seven, or as long as you want to stay. Um, Those of you uh, in the network, we would love for you to join in agreement with us. We're all in this together, and I think we can all say, yeah, this applies to me too. We all need it as saints. Spend time individually and I would ask that you would consider this for your churches. Let's pray and let's believe. We want what God has set in the church. And I believe that he has inspired this exhortation and this invitation for our days. So thanks so much for joining. And uh, We look forward to praying with you this coming Saturday as well, first Saturday. And uh, God bless you all. Goodbye.